Hey, today we are in week two of our Kingdom Builder series. We love Kingdom Builders around here. This is our generosity arm. It's the, it's the missions arm of our church. And part of the missions arm of our church is that we believe that the local church needs to be healthy and strong in America so that we can reach around the world. How many guys know that, look, you can only reach out as healthy as you are, right? Like if you wanna be someone that gives $1,000 a month, well, you gotta have, you gotta have that money coming in. Like if you wanna be a person that can go around the world, and you gotta be able to be the, have the health to travel around the world. Same thing with the local church. When the local church is spiritually mature and it's healthy, then we can become our greatest muscle in the kingdom of God, building his church around the world. We care about God's church around the world enough that we want the local church to be healthy. And how many of you guys know that my heart is really to plant new campuses, right? Plant new churches, that new churches see a lot of incredible growth. Well, I've got a friend of mine who's helped me understand this one critical dynamic, and that is this. Rescuing churches before they die is just as important as planting new churches. And in 2023, we're going to bring on a brand new Kingdom Builder partner called Church Boom. Come on, turn to three people and say, Church Boom. This is not a ministry to blow up churches, all right? This is, this is a ministry to cause a church to bloom, to blossom, to come back to life, to rebirth. Those things that are getting ready to die, and so they come in and they coach and they invest, and we wanna be a partner in rescuing churches in America so that we can be growing God's kingdom around the world. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. So the founder, the founder of Church Boom, which is also the founder of a, of a great church in Southern California, my friend, uh, Pastor Chris Songston is with us today, the founder of Church Boom. Would you guys put your hands together and welcome Chris Songston out here to the stage. Come on, everybody. Come on, love you, brother. I love it. I love you, brother. All right, love you, too. Amen. It's all yours, Chris. Let's do it. Good morning. All right, hey, we're, we're in church. I think this should be the best and wildest place to be uh, the entire week. Let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, it is awesome to be able to be with you. A little bit about me. Uh, first of all, let me first say, you have amazing, incredible, life-changing pastors in Pastor Jeff and Kim. Would you give them a big hand? Thank them for being the amazing pastors they are. It is such a joy. A little bit about me as we kind of jump right into it. Uh, as he said, I'm the founding pastor of South Hills. We have 12 sites. Uh, I am the founder of Church Boom, which has an initiative called Church Rescue. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, I am also uh, I've written a bunch of books. No one reads them, but I got them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and more importantly, I've been married for 31 years. Uh, oh, yeah. To a beautiful, beautiful Hispanic woman. Oh, she's hot. And... Uh, um, I call her my little hot tamale. She doesn't speak any English, but that helps us get along. Uh, can't really argue if you can't talk to each other. And so we have two amazing children. And then we have this third one. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, and then about two years ago, our, our daughter gave us our first ever granddaughter. How many are grandparents here? Oh, it's the best thing on the planet, isn't it? God's reward for not killing your own kid. It's, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing, and uh, our little Mila Brave, we just love her so much, and, and uh, it's just the best thing on the planet. I was holding her recently, and my adult son, Pastor Jeff, says to me, Dad, it's like you love her more. I go, no, it's not like I do. I do. <laughs> I'll be very clear. You had a good run. It's over for you. 
Hey, let's jump into it. If you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, next time at a hotel, get one. Um, there, I've got hundreds of them. It's a little side hustle I do on eBay. Uh, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 in just a moment. We're going to check it out. We're going to dive in. I want to minister to you a bit and then turn a corner right at the end, tell you a little bit about Church Rescue and what we're doing. I believe with all my heart that God designs for us to be heroes. He desires for us to be heroes. He wants us to be heroes. Matter of fact, we were just talking backstage about Marvel and DC Comic and the new Black Panther movie that's out. I mean, people want to be a hero. We make billions of dollars presenting heroes. If you had to choose, real quick, real quick, if you had to choose, Superman or Batman? You had to choose. If you could care less, I get it. But if you had to choose, Superman or Batman, who would you choose? Superman, let me see. Okay, Batman. Look at all you dark people. Notice the dark people didn't even raise their voices. They're just depressed. Um, Iron Man or Spider-Man? How many would say Iron Man? You had to choose. Spider-Man. Oh, look at that. Vicious. Captain America or Wonder Woman? How many say Captain America? Wonder Woman. Yeah, I noticed some of the men were like, oh, sorry, honey. Uh, 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 we're catching what's really going on here. Life, uh, uh, God desires us to be heroes. My son, when he was growing up, he was playing baseball from age five years old all the way up to college. He played all the way through, all the way through college he played. He's a left-handed pitcher. When he threw with his left hand for the first time, man, I was just like, ha, ah, because a left-handed pitcher is a big deal. I love baseball. And uh, so he's a left-handed pitcher. And when he was, man, when he was in high school, he was doing so good. And, and even at 11 or 12, by the time he was 12, I had a tattoo put on his arm and said 401k. It was my my own retirement program. I was believing God for, but that didn't work. Um, so he went through for college, but I'll never forget when he was seven years old, I remember peeking through the little door of the, of the bathroom because I heard him talking in there, and I walked by, and I'm like, what's, who's he talking to? I looked through that little door, Ray, and he's there in front of the mirror like this. It's the bottom of the night. He's seven years old. Come on. Men, don't act like you haven't done that before this morning. And... Um, I walk by, it's the bottom of the night, here comes a bit, he hits it, it's over. He's seven years old, he's jumping around, he had no idea I watched him. I probably saw him do that two or three times during one year. Never once did he stand in front of the mirror, it's the bottom of the night, here comes a pitch, he swings, he's a loser, he's never the loser. He's always the hero in the story. God desires that for us. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10, there's an amazing story that you, if you've been around church long enough, you probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story is really about Jesus telling this story to a group of, let's call them 30 religious law experts. And one of the religious law experts stands up and has this conversation with Jesus. And in this conversation, we find Jesus' desire, number one, for us to be the hero, and number two, for us to come to the rescue as the hero. He desires that for our life. Let's take a look at it, Luke chapter 10, 25. One day an expert in law and uh, religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love that Jesus never really answers a question. He always answers it with a question. How do I, get to, how do I inherit eternal life? I don't know, what do you think it says? I love that. Now, in this next verse, it's a game changer, and probably majority of us have never seen the verse the way that you're going to see it now. Verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and help me out, love your, as your, 
Okay, now why is that so important? You'll notice the love your neighbor as yourself is a little bit more bold than the other writing. Why is that? Okay, here's the why. Religious law experts never added love your neighbor as yourself. The first part was written in Deuteronomy. The love your neighbor as yourself was written in a book called Leviticus. What they would do is someone would say to them, hey, how do you go to heaven? And they would say, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They left off, love your neighbor as yourself. The only reason this guy added it is because if you look a few weeks before in Scripture, Jesus added it. So Jesus added the love your neighbor as yourself because how many know it's a lot easier to love God than it is to love your neighbor? You got any people that like that in your life that bring more joy when they exit the room and then when they enter? Like, really? You got to leave? That's too bad. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus added the love your neighbor as yourself. So he did. They were only looking at half the Bible. And we do that sometimes too. Probably don't want to admit it, but we do. How many love God's forgiveness and mercy? How many love it when God wants you to show it to someone that really hurt you? Not so fun, is it? How many love the idea of God opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that you can't contain? Loves that. That sounds amazing. But then the part before it is got to be generous and tithe. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't like that part. We like this part, but not that part. I was, re- I was late to an appointment, uh, speaking appo- engagement, and I hate being late. I was on a speaking engagement, and uh, so I'm like, man, I'm going to be late. I hate being late, and I'm going down the freeway. I'm doing a nice Christian 95, and... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm, the whole time I'm like, God, I'm going to be late. Don't let me get, I don't want to get pulled over. Have you ever done that before? Run a red light and pray at the same time? <laughs> Lord, I'm breaking the law, but be with me. Um, so I'm flying down the freeway, you know, and all of a sudden the red and blue lights, they come on and I'm like, oh. So what I did, I punched it. No, I uh, <laughs> might have saw it on the news. And I, I, I was flying down the freeway. The guy pulled the lights on and pulled up. Now, here's the thing. He pulls me over like this, you know, and I'm sitting there. Oh, great. Now I'm going to be even more late, and I'm going to get a ticket on top of it. And he comes walking up, and he comes walking up, and I'm telling you, this is the craziest thing. And I know this is horrible. I'm just a little confession from a pastor. As he's walking up, I look down on my seat to the right of me, and there's my Bible. And I put it up on the dashboard. How horrible is that? Because I'm thinking, maybe he's one of us. You know, he'll let me off the hook because he's one of us, you know. So he comes up, license and registration, please, you know. And he does this whole little bit and he's talking to me. The whole time, he's looking at me, but his, eye, his eyes are going like that. He's watching the Bible. And I'm like, I got him. This is it. He says, I'll be back in a second. He goes back. He's writing me a ticket. And, then, and I'm like, what happened? I thought we were, hey, you know, Jesus. And uh, what happened? He comes walking up. I'll never forget. He goes, here you go, license registration back, sign here, sign this, sign that. The whole time he's eyeing my Bible, he's walking away, drives safely, and he walks away, and he leans back in the window. He goes, oh, by the way, and he points at my Bible. Read Romans 13.1. Now, I know the Bible, but I don't have it all memorized or anything, every verse by verse. He drives away, open it up, obey the laws of the land. <laughs> That's what he did to me. You laugh, I'm out 275 bucks. You know what he's really saying to me? Hey, buddy, you might want to follow the whole Bible, <laughs> not just part of the Bible. That's what these religious law experts were doing. They were like, hey, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was a part of it. So Jesus, they say that. Now let's, let's pick up the story right where we left it off. And we'll pick it up at verse 28. It says, right, Jesus told them. So the guy says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is a response. Right, Jesus told them. Do this and you will live. It's almost like the conversation's over. What else is there to talk about? You got the answer right. Do it and you will live. Look at this part. The man wanted to what? Come on, what did he want to do? 
justify his action. Not the ones he was going to do, the ones he's already done. Watch this. He wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? I think that is so fascinating. Hey, Jesus, um, got to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Yep, you got it right. Okay, but who's my neighbor? <laughs> really what he's asking, what's the lowest amount of neighborly love I can get away with? <laughs> That's really what he's asking here. Because if you were a Jewish person living 2,000 years ago, which we're not, but if you lived 2,000 years ago, this is the way you lived. You lived in your house. Mom and dad were across the street. Grandma, grandpa over here, uncle and aunt, your brothers and sisters are behind you. Everybody lived in the same area. So if you're a Jewish person asking Jesus, hey, who's my neighbor? Because really what you're saying is, if you're just talking about these people on my little block, we're good. But if you're talking like go way out, that's where he wanted to justify his actions. So Jesus comes in with another, I love it. He says, and who's my neighbor? He still doesn't answer the question. Now he just tells a story. Look what it says. So Jesus replies with a story. I think that is so funny. Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side, rode and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, say it with me, a what? Hi, Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Here's Jesus telling the story. Hey, uh, there's a guy gets beat up on the side of the road. One of your priests, he's Jewish, he's telling this crowd, one of your priests walked by, nothing. One of your temple assistants walks by, does nothing. But a despised Samaritan, and the Jews, you know, hated Samaritans. So he's like, one of these people came by, and he felt compassion for him. Here's what's happening. It's like, if you were in the crowd, this is, I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but you have to, you got to realize, you're sitting in the crowd and you're going, wait a minute, you just made the priest the villain, the assistant the villain, and you're about to make the Samaritan the hero? This is a big deal, this story, because Jesus is doing something that nobody had ever done before. It's like, your priest is not the hero. Your assistant's not the hero. Now we're setting it up for the scum of the earth, despised Samaritan to be the hero. This is a big deal. Let's step out of the story. Let me give you lesson number one. Take notice of what's in front of you. Take notice of what's in front of you. I think that's the story. Hey, take notice of whatever is in front of you. Whatever is happening, take notice of it. And, and look at what's happening. Because, you, and it could, be, it could be anything for us. It could be take notice of what's in front of you. The neighbor across the street who still doesn't know you're a Christian. Or the coworker, Or the need here at the church. Or the need that's going on. That's what he was laying down. Take notice of what, that's why the priest, he wouldn't do a good job. That's why the assistant didn't do a good job. But the Samaritan took notice. Matter of fact, one translation says, they saw, he took notice. It's taking notice of what's in front of you. You know why? Because here's three words I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else about me talking today, remember three words. Revelation requires responsibility. Say that out loud with me, everybody in the house. Revelation requires responsibility. Okay, when God opens your eyes to something that you've never seen as a problem before, that's called a revelation. And a revelation requires a responsibility. The despised Samaritan walked by, and boom, there's the responsibility. It comes out. Now, let's go back to the verses real quick. Go over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. 
Okay, here's the second thing you need to notice. Number one, take notice of what's in front of you. And number two, do what you can with what you have. I won't be able to do everything. So think about it. The guy walks by, he's got oil, the, 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 uh, um, the spy Samaritans, oil and bandages. And, but maybe the guy needed medicine. Not oil and wine and bandages, but you do what you can with what you have. The guy put him on his donkey. Maybe the guy didn't need a donkey. Maybe the guy needed a horse to get there faster. But you do what you can with what you have. The guy took him to a hotel, an inn. Maybe he didn't need an inn. Maybe he needed a hospital. But help me out. You do what you can. Come on, everybody in the house. You do what you can with what you have. That's what Jesus looks for in us as a hero. God has called this amazing church under these amazing pastors for you guys to be incredible heroes, both in this city and around this world. And how do we do that? We follow what Jesus' remedy of being or recipe of being a hero is. Number one, you take notice of what's in front of you. Number two, you do what you can with what you have. You can't do everything, but you do what you can with what you have. I remember a long time ago, I was, uh, uh, a long time, it was several, about four, five, six years ago, something, I wasn't speaking at regularly at one of our campuses, but I was during this small season. I'm sitting right here, and in walks this guy, it's a big auditorium, in walks this guy, and he's sitting right here. We have five weekend services there, and he's sitting right there, and he comes in, he sits down. Now, I know this is stereotyping, have I ever met anybody that looked flat out intimidating? Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's the kind of person when you're pumping gas late at night and they pull up, you're like, yeah, $1.50 is enough because, you know, <laughs> you're scared to death, you know. That's this guy. I don't know how else to say it. He didn't look like the godfather, but he looked like the guy that guarded the godfather. <laughs> That's who he was. He looked Italian mobster, going to kill somebody type of guy. He's got tattooed up to here. He's 6'2". He's about 250 pounds, he's massive, he's got gold chains, he's got the t-shirt, hair slicked back, he's got sunglasses he never takes off. Worship, sunglasses are on. Prayer, sunglasses. I baptized him with sunglasses. <laughs> Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He came up, he just, he's insane. And I come walking over, I go, how you doing, man? And I'm not even kidding, just totally honest with you. And by the way, don't you love it when a pastor says, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway... I walk over and I said, hey man, I go, how you doing? He stands up, talks just like this. How you doing? Name's Glenn. And I'm like, he's got a cannoli somewhere. And um, <laughs> I meet him, we talk for a minute. I'm like, nice to meet you. I'm thinking, he is a mean looking dude. I go over here, worship goes on, I get up, I speak. You know, as the audience, big old whatever, and everybody's laughing, they're having a good time. He's not cracking a, nothing. Everybody's laughing except for him. He's not even cracking a smile. He's just looking at me like this. And I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. That's why he's come here, to kill me. So I get done, you know, with my part. We do offering at the end. We do little buckets the old way, you know. And I go back down. I sit right there. The associate pastor comes up. He's praying for the offering. And I'm over here in the front row not praying. I'm looking down at Glenn the whole time because i got to be ready in case he makes a move. And I'm looking down over Glenn. He starts pulling up his pant leg. And I'm like, he's going for the gun. He undoes the biggest grip of $100 bills I've ever seen in my life. He probably had 10 grand on his ankle. And I'm looking down during prayer, and he's counting them out for the offering while everybody's praying. He's all, and he stops. I'm like, I know where the bodies are buried. Come on, buddy. Um, and so he keeps coming to the church. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. I'll never, I'll never forget. About six weeks into it, he comes up. Pastor Chris, he goes, I, I want to help out here. I go, well, what do you want to help out, Glenn? You know, he goes, I'd like to help out with security. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. Um, I don't need anybody me. You're late. Boom. You just did. So we made him an usher. You want your offerings to go through the roof? Have Glenn take the offering. Because he'll walk by and be like, you're intimidated. 
your credit cards are going in the bucket, your watches, putting your kids in there, just anything. He comes up to me after about two months, Pastor Chris, do you know why I sit in the front row every week? I said, no, I have no idea we sit in the front row every week. Is something, someone tries something on you? I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking in my mind, he wants someone to try something on me. He's getting itchy, you know, he's an inflicted pain in almost 90 days. That guy continued, he brought so many people to church and I was so blown away by it. But here's the thing, is that God brought him into my, into my life. And I started spending time with that guy. And God just reminded me, just like the story of the Good Samaritan, you gotta, you gotta take notice of what's in front of you. You gotta do what you can with what you have. That's here at this church. That's here in any missions that Pastor Jeff brings to you. That's here with your next door neighbor who's far from God and is gonna spend an eternity without Jesus. It's in every area. You take notice of what's in front of you and you do what you can one more time with what you what? Have, because revelation requires responsibility. It always does. Let's go back to the story real quick. Verse uh, uh, 36, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked him. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. I love how he can't even say the word Samaritan. Interesting, isn't it? And he says, then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I love it. Here's the thing. The Samaritan was the hero because he came to the rescue. Let me tell you, um, we, we felt like God called us to come to the rescue about two years ago. We started this thing called Church Boom where we're coaching people all across the nation. And, uh, and then about two years ago, we started realizing, man, about 18 months ago, put about a bunch of guys in a room, about 15, 20 pastors of very large churches and put them in the room in Dallas, Texas. I went in there and I said this. And I said to them, hey guys, I said, how many would agree with me? We're not in the same America we were in just three years ago. How many would agree with me on that? It's not the same America. It's like common sense has become a superpower. And, um, and some, of you get, some of you get that a little bit later. The laugh kind of went like this. And, uh, and it's just crazy what's happening. But we just, we got in a room and I said, guys, we can just all go back to our big churches and say, who cares? Or we could go on social media and blast it out to the people that already agree with us, which is funny that we do that. But um, that's why they follow us because they mostly agree with us. But... Um, but we blasted out to them, but what can we do about this? And then we began to look at America's churches. We found some startling things in America's churches. We found in the 1950s, America churches were outpacing, watch this, America's church population was outpacing America population. We were growing faster than people actually being born. That's how fast Christianity was growing. But something happened in the last several years. We've seen some enormous things. Here's a few things for you real quick. And since 2014, here's something shocking for you. America has been closing five to 10,000 churches per year. Folks, 100 to 200 churches are having their final service right now, somewhere in America. Since 2014, we used to open this many and shut down this many. In 2014, we shut down this many and opened up this many, and the gap's gotten wider every single year without fail. We are losing five to 10,000 churches. And I, this is what I firmly believe. The darker America, I'm sorry, the darker that our churches get, the more the lighthouses go out, the darker America gets. We lose lighthouses, we lose America. Come on. Amen? You lose lighthouses, you lose America. You lose the lighthouse in Oklahoma, California, Portland, Oregon. You lose lighthouses and you lose America. And so we thought, man, we got to do something. We found out that over 70, right now over 70% of all churches are in decline. In other words, that number is not going away. 
We found out that church membership in the U.S. has fallen below the majority. Matter of fact, we also, for the first time in a half century, we found out recently that the first time ever in our nation's history, ever, less than half the people claim a faith. We're losing, you guys. You're not losing here. You have an amazing pastor. you got an amazing church. But I'm talking about the big C, the big church across America is losing desperately. We are closing more churches than we open. 70% of all churches are in decline. Less than half the people claim a faith, which is the first time. So we got together and we thought, well, what if we do this? What if we started helping um, churches across America? I got my 15 guys in Dallas. What if we started raising money and, 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 and becoming kingdom builder partners with great churches across America and we could take not 90%, 100% of that money and we could rescue church, like we could coach them for a year for free and we could give them grants if they needed and money to hang in there and some cash to fix their roof. And all of a sudden, man, we were just like, what, what, that could work. And so we started working on it 18 months. And I got to tell you, man, I'm pretty excited to announce that we're averaging between 250 to 300 churches per week that are in our rescue initiative program. We believe that rescue churches rescue people, but we also believe that rescue churches rescue America. And America needs it, and we're fighting for America's churches like never before. This has been the result of it. Real quick, let me show you really quick. Here's Seth D. in, in Maine. I'll be with him in a couple of weeks. He calls us up. I've got 35 people left in my church. Hey, he goes, we're going to give it back to the bank. We don't know what to do. We're going to lose another one. I said, hang in there, man. Let us help you. That, so X amount, I think, 14, 15 months have gone by. Seth, instead of running 35 people, I'm on the phone with him last week. He's got 175 people in his church now. We rescued another church. Here's another buddy of mine, Vinny. Vinny Green is in Vermont. He calls me up and he says, I have 33 people. You know you have 33 when he said, he didn't say like, I don't know, 30 or 40. It was 33. And I was like, dude, you're pretty exact. And um, he said, we're a mess. We don't know what we're doing. We don't have any money. He goes, I was put in charge of this. I think we're just going to let it go back and, and, and maybe give it to the bank or do whatever. I'm proud to say that uh, two weeks ago I was on the phone with him. He's running 225 people on Sunday now. Another rescue church. Here's my buddy, Pastor Muda from Detroit, re reaching the inner city of Detroit and all the people that are there and all the problems that are there. He calls us up. We got 50 people. We got no money. We gave him eight grand to fix the roof. We gave him another six or seven grand to fix his heater. His church last week had 150 people, and they're reaching people all in the inner city for the cause of Jesus Christ. My last buddy right here. You see, we, we, we don't, we don't uh, you know, discriminate. We even have Duck Dynasty. And... Uh, um, <laughs> And I, uh, I got my buddy here in Evansville, Indiana. I'll never forget his phone call. He's literally crying on the phone, bawling on the phone, bawling on the phone. He, there's a, and he's like, I'm a, his words, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I was put in charge of church. I don't know what to do. We're behind by months. I don't know what to do. And man, I just, I, I'm trying, man, but I don't know. Help me. And I said, we're going to put you on a rescue initiative. We're going to take care of you, Brian. We're going to do everything we can. We started giving a little, we did what we could, funds, Helping him out, leadership coached him for an entire year. Actually flew someone in to work with his entire team. He didn't pay a dime for it. Just healthy churches helping us. And next thing you know, his church took off. I was on the phone with him last week. Then on four straight weeks in a row of 350 people. That's what God has done. And God has continued to do that. And that is the excitement part of what we're doing. I'm a pastor just like your pastor. I'm, a, I'm busy just like anybody else. But revelation requires responsibility. And 18 months ago, we're just coaching people and they're paying to get coached. And I'm like, churches are dying. 
And I got to tell you this much, if the bride of Christ is in the emergency room and bleeding out, we better do something about it. So we decided to do something about it, and that's what God has done, and it has been extraordinary. Here's a quick video I want to show you of one more church in, in Roswell, New Mexico, where they, man, we fought with them, we helped them, we went to the battle with them, and God has changed their church around. This is living proof that rescue churches rescue people, and rescue churches rescue America. Check out this video, and then your pastor will come. The story of this church and the way that it began is, uh, is one that was built off of failure. Uh, there was a church split and our church began. Uh, about 20 years later, the pastor of the church ended up in moral failure. Really, they ended up uh, uh, weathering some pretty tough years. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they'd grown back to about 60 or 70 uh, on a good weekend. And, and that was about the time that we came. Pastoring uh, before church boom came into our life was, uh, was scary. Uh, it was uh, very difficult. We had never been in this position before. And uh, as we came here, man, I, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to make the dreams in my heart actually come to life uh, with what God had told us. As a pastor's wife, you do your best to support your husband. What was difficult was honestly to see him frustrated because he had vision, but he didn't have direction. He didn't know what questions he should be asking. I was an addict for years. I was at home and I was drinking and all the family was gone doing something. I was just sitting in my chair drinking whiskey by myself and we got a call that uh, my wife's mom got hit by a drunk driver. Um, woke up in the morning and that, that whiskey was still there, dumped it out. Um, and uh, get rid of it all, uh, started, started going to church. Growing up, I just had more of that religious background rather than the relationship with Christ. So then as time went on, I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, there has to be more to God than just this. Like, we can't live up to this. I got really sad and angry and um, bitter. And instead of like realizing what it was, I started taking it out on my husband. As time progressed, I started having an emotional affair with this man. And after I had a physical affair with him, I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Who is this? I have never felt the Holy Spirit in my entire life. And whenever I worshiped for the first time at Waymaker, he just overtook me. sense of almost being rescued when Church Boom came because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I should be looking for. And even in my coaching calls, I would tell Chris, I, I don't even know what I should be asking you right now. Would you help me? And I realized it wasn't until somebody with understanding came to help unlock the potential 
uh, through the coaching. That's really what, what set us on that course. hard to place a value on what we've received uh, through Church Boom, through the team at Church Boom, Pastor Chris himself. I'm also thankful that when they came in, the tools that uh, Church Boom brought, it wasn't to get us to become something other than ourselves. And there's so many amazing resources that, uh, that we're able to utilize. When I think of this church, I think of, I think of happiness. I think of a, a place where I'm safe, where my family's safe, Whenever I come to church now, I just feel so alive. Like, I look forward to it. I can't get enough of church. I need this place, and I couldn't do my life without Jesus and the people that are in this place. Amen. Isn't it? It never gets old, right? It never gets old to hear of people having their life transformed by Jesus, right? I mean, I don't know how you can watch a video like that and, and not see the people that are having their life transformed. I just want you to know that happens. God chooses to use the local church to bring about the spiritual transformation, and so when you hear stories about 70% of churches in decline, you know, 100 or 200 churches closing on the, the, rap, the rapid case of churches closing, you have to also go, God, thank you for what we have. But then we have to immediately go, but what we have is to be used for your glory. And so, guys, I don't know about you, but I am proud to be partners with people like Chris Songston and Church Boom. I'm glad to have partners, Kingdom Builder partners like Church Boom, who are caring about the Big C Church here in America so we can care about the Big C Church all around the world. And, and that's the kind of church we are. You are a rescuing church. This past year, just by the leading of God's Spirit, Chris gave us a call and he said, look, there's a church in California that's been closed for a year and a half because of the pandemic. They're wondering how they're going to get their doors open. We're going to come alongside them. We're going to pay their rent for a few months. Jeff, would you and your church like to just pay their rent so they can get back on their feet? And as a Kingdom Builder Task Force, we stepped up to the plate and we paid two months of their rent so that they can get back on their feet. This past year, this past year, a church in the inner city of St. Louis was trying to acquire their own building because they were renting from a Methodist church and they were having to meet like at two o'clock in the afternoon and they were able to acquire this building that they could start leasing in another place, but then they needed new sound system and video equipment. And so through Kingdom Builders, we wrote them a check for $9,000 and said, look, we know you're not part of us. We know you're not an Assemblies of God church. We, we recognize you're not in Nebraska, but you're loving God and you're growing. And I had gone there and I had spoke a conference for that church that was teaming up with other churches in the city, a small little church trying to lead a city. And we said, that's the kind of church we want to be a part of. They just had their grand opening two weeks ago. I was supposed to be there, but I had a staff retreat. So I call up my buddy. How did, this, how did, the, how did the, the grand opening go? He's like, it was amazing, Jeff. But I heard you got hit by a car. And I was like, yes, I did. He goes, just think what would have happened if you just would have showed up to our grand opening. <laughs> and I was like, man, good point, bro. Good point. You're rescuing churches in America already. We're going to take our game and we're going to kick it up another notch. We're going to take it to a new level. 
Because, guys, I don't know about you. I, I want to see the, our auditoriums across Nebraska packed full of people finding Jesus and see their lives changed. But, I mean, if you're talking about the ocean, we're like a drop in the ocean. I want to affect the ocean. I, I want to change the climate. I want to change the spiritual atmosphere. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that by our engagement. We're going to do that through our giving. We're going to do that by using what we have. We're going to do that by taking care of what's right in front of us. Amen? Are you with me? This is what Kingdom Builders is. If you're not a Kingdom Builder, I'm going to encourage you next week, we're going to take the miracle offering. I think we're about $144,000 different between what we committed this year and what's come in. I'm just going to tell you right now, you want to rescue people? You want to rescue people that rescue people? You want to rescue churches that rescue people? Let's be a kingdom builder. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for all of us at all of our auditoriums. And let's lean in. Let's lean in in this moment of worship, right? And let's engage with God. Because I know this, that God impacts you, you impact others. So let's worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you haven't given up on your church. Lord, thank you that your church is still your bride. Thank you, Lord, that you're still fighting for your church. Thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're resurrecting churches. Like you resurrected from the grave, you're resurrecting churches to be life-giving as well in communities all across America. Lord, we want to be a part of that. Help us, Lord. Help us to use what we have. Help us to use what we've been blessed with. Help us to maximize and to leverage what you've given us. Lord, let us not take for granted the health that we have here at New Life. Let us not take for granted the expansion that's happening at New Life. But Lord, let us leverage it all. Move it all in like a poker player moves all their chips in on the center of the table. We're moving it all in and we're saying, God, we're with you. We're with you. Lord, we're with you. We're, we're not asking you to join us. We're trying to figure out how to join you in a greater way. May your church advance. May people find Jesus. And may lives change at the end of our day on this earth. May we be people that cashed it all in to see your kingdom advance while we had breath. In Jesus' name, and everybody said with a, with a big amen. Come on.